As the elections near, the media and the nation turn to one of the foremost forecasters of political fate, whose crystal ball often determines winners and losers before the polls have even closed. Today on 13th and Park. The future doesn't belong to the faint party. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. We will make America strong again. We will get through this together. I can hear you, the rest of the world hears you, and the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We've been looking forward to this, uh, Justin and I, to, to be a part of, of the Larry Sabato Crystal Ball Show. Version 1825. Um, and for all of you that, that, that don't know, or the few of you that don't know about Larry Sabato, he has become one of the most uh, uh, followed, foremost forecasters of political fortune in the business. Uh, he's a professor at University of Virginia. Go Cavaliers. Uh, also is the head of the Center of Politics, the director, I should say, uh, there author of more than 20 books, one of which is my favorite because I have my father, Bob Goodman, <laughs> in it, uh, The Rise of Political Consultants, which was one of the early Bibles on, you might say, the political operative part of the business that was just so right on. Uh, and Larry became actually very good friends with my dad, and it was, uh, it was a special relationship that you know, my family will never forget. But getting to the crystal ball, uh, as we start to move into the final 60 days of the midterms, Larry, uh, Everyone's asking the same questions, and I'm going to throw it to Justin, who's been looking at all your predictions, uh, and he had, he had a couple of things to start with to see where we go. Well, Larry, uh, we, we're really curious that of the 100 Senate races, the crystal ball has a prediction one way or the other for 98 of those 100 races. But there are two races that uh, the crystal ball says are toss-ups, Nevada and Georgia. So can you just walk us through what's making it so difficult about those two particular states to uh, figure out whether they're leaning one direction or the other? Sure. And, and the two-thirds that are not up this year, I know I'm 100% right on that. <laughs> so you, you can bet any, any, anybody, you know, you'd be surprised how many people don't know which seats are up. So you can, I can get people to bet on the ones that you know for sure are going one way or the other. But look, uh, now let, let me stress, Nevada and Georgia, the uh, reason we have them as toss-ups is simply because there's a lot of contradictory evidence and because just about everybody in and out of the campaigns agrees that they're going to be very, very close in the end. And I learned years ago from Bob Goodman and his fellow political consultants that you really ought to listen to the people who are running the campaigns, who are staffing them, who, who do the ads, who know the candidates, because they have a sense of these things wholly beyond public opinion polling. And of course, we know today public opinion polling isn't terribly accurate. In, right. in many races, in many states, in many years. So uh, the reason we've got those two there is because when we add up the pluses and minuses for the candidates on both sides, they come out just about even. I mean, one of them's going to win and one of them's going to lose in each state. But we have until November 7th, the eve of, of the election on November 8th, to um, make a prediction. We predict all races because the stakes are so low. Uh, there's no reason not to. 
some people hang on to toss-ups forever. Uh, you know, they don't want to be wrong. I understand that. I'm, I'm now 70. I don't care how often I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, Larry, it's interesting because you said, uh, you know, polls are, are maybe not as predictive, uh, as informative as they maybe once were. And you say you like to talk to the, to the, to the operatives on the ground and the people that are kind of working on the ground. What are those factors that you, that you look at in, in, in doing this analysis for your crystal ball? Because it seems like, uh, the, 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 the factors might be changing because of the, the the dynamic political environment that we're in. Well, I'm not going to lie to you. We like to get the private polls. They're <laughs> often a lot better than the public polls. Okay, uh, interesting. You know, because they, the campaigns also want to know what's really going on. There's no right. sense in fooling themselves. Right. And the pollsters will be held accountable for it if they get it wrong within the campaign. It will hurt their reputations. So the private polls often tell you a lot more than the public polls do. And there are a lot fewer public polls than there used to be in many states. So you don't have that information. But beyond that, you have to look at the overall national environment. Uh, while that's always influenced politics, uh, again, I keep referring to, to your dad, uh, Adam, but back in his heyday, mm -hmm. uh, there, were, there was lots of ticket splitting. People would go both ways on the same ballot. And so just because a president was winning here didn't mean that the Senate candidate from the president's party would win or the uh, senator would win. Well, today, the uh, confluence of factors and presidential popularity being at the top, uh, it makes it very, very difficult in an era of political polarization for a party to win one race for president or Senate and win another race for governor or uh, House, if in fact the House district is representative of the state or is a right. statewide election. So to me, that's, um, that's the difference. You have to analyze each race, but you do it in a national context today. You didn't necessarily do that mm -hmm. 25, 30, 40 years ago. But is there anything specific to the two states that Justin was talking about, like Georgia? We'll take Georgia. Um, is there something you're looking for there as you see the polls that have been pretty much a dead heat, close to at least, between um, the incumbent Warnock and the football uh, great Herschel Walker. What are you looking for, particularly in the last stretch of this race, that may tip this from a, a toss-up to something that maybe leans in one direction? Well, the governor's race there really matters. So mm -hmm. we, we have tipped that to uh, Brian Kent, the incumbent Republican governor, pretty much the whole campaign, simply because uh, this is a more Republican year than four years ago when he won very, very narrowly over Stacey Abrams. But uh, because he fought with Donald Trump and yet won in a landslide in the Republican primary, he actually won a few independent and even Democratic converts. <laughs> and, and that plus, again, the national atmosphere, which is more favorable to Republicans, though not as favorable as we thought it was going to be. It's evened up because of the Dobbs abortion decision, but mm -hmm. it's still tilted in that direction. And that that helps uh, Herschel Walker. If Herschel Walker will stop stepping on his own message and maybe even uh, taking a few weeks off without saying anything. Uh, you know, so we all, in fact, I think it was your dad again who said, there were many candidates that I wish I could send to Bermuda for the general election. <laughs> He had a They'd lot have of, a wonderful time. He had a lot of one-way tickets to Bermuda for several of them, I can tell you. I saw him on his desk, I promise you. 
What? So you also <clears throat> mentioned uh, Nevada, uh, which a lot of people, of course, know you know f- favorably as the the home of um, of the Strip uh, in Las Vegas. What is it in Nevada uh, you that may also tip the scale one way or the other, Larry? In the past few elections, it has looked like Nevada was becoming a reliable Democratic state. Not a heavily Democratic state, but a somewhat reliable Democratic state. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it may turn out to be true, but uh, there's clearly a trend back to Republicans among Hispanics. Which Hispanics? Mm-hmm. Evangelical Hispanics. Blue-collar Hispanics. Uh, some who maybe have gotten mad at the incumbent governor or the incumbent senator for one vote or another they may be conservative on the abortion issue, for example, just and that's just one example of many. So I think Nevada is much more competitive than most people think it is outside Nevada. It's not guaranteed that Democrats will win anything. In fact, if this Republican tilt manages to continue all the way to November, right. uh, I would expect that um, that there would be uh, a relationship between the Senate and the governor's race. I wouldn't be surprised if both Democrats lost. Now, on the other hand, if they manage, maybe because of Dobbs or some other combination of issues, if the Democratic governor manages to win, probably the, the Democratic senator, incumbent senator, will as well. So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of tandem voting. Mm-hmm. You know, What's, it used to be that you, you could get half of the Senate elected in a state that the other party's presidential candidate won, either that year or in a prior year. Though that time is gone forever. I really believe that. We are mm-hmm. the polarization and the the attachment to the party is is so intense. And what's funny about it is it isn't that you love your party so much. Mm-hmm. It's that you hate the other party so much. <laughs> so you call it negative partisanship. It's negative partisanship. Now you're you're looking That's at us so actually on a on a on a Zoom link right now, Larry. You can see we have the colors red and blue on our mics. There's a reason <laughs> yes. we're doing that. <laughs> Trying to be very careful about how we're taking sides here. Larry, I'm curious, what do you think? There's been a lot of talk of a lot of the handicappers and pundits and prognosticators are trying to assess the impact, the net impact of the Dobbs decision. How do you see that? Again, you you do have to look at each individual state and each individual congressional district. It isn't like there is one national view on abortion. But overall, overall, it has been a big plus for Democrats and it has re-engineered their chances and many of their campaigns. I don't want to get into discussing the abortion issue. I'm just talking about it as a political factor. Right. Uh, so it's it's interesting. It's really a study in human nature. I often tell students who are <laughs> going to go into politics, don't major in political science, major in psychology, particularly <laughs> abnormal psychology. Then you'll have a much better chance of, of winning. But the psychology here makes sense. Uh, for all these years since Roe v. Wade in 1973, it's been the pro-life side of the abortion issue that's tended to benefit because their side was angrier, more upset, yeah. wanted to change. They saw what was happening. Now it's the pro-choice side. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, abortion clinics are being shut down. Abortion is being outlawed in a lot of states and really limited in other states. And then there are horror stories on the news every night. See, that's feeding this too. So this has been a big plus for Democrats. Not everywhere, but in most places. But if you're going to, as you're getting to the very final furlong of this race, of the midterms, uh, if you were to see, say, abortion starting to 
to, to move at the expense of, say, the economy. Those seem to be the top two issues beyond polarization, which is clearly the new issue on the, on the plate. Would that affect how you would make predictions at the very end of the, the campaign cycle if a, one sure. issue started to move on another? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what you're looking for. And you have to find evidence. It can't be the kind of anecdotal evidence that our friends in the media, and I love them, I worked with them for years, but they'll find three people on the street and two of them say one thing and one of them's out there and they'll say, see, it's two to one that we have this particular view. No, it doesn't mean a thing. It's all anecdotal. So we, we'd have to have real evidence that that was taking place. But essentially what you've outlined is correct. On the Republican side, you have inflation slash Biden because it's they're inextricably bound. Mm-hmm. And uh, people blame Biden for the shape of the economy. Again, we could argue forever about whether presidents really have any effect on the economy, but that's the that's the uh, bet that they have made. That's the game they're playing. Uh, and then abortion on the other side, it's impossible not to attribute that to Republicans because mm-hmm. you know six Republicans on the Supreme Court, three of them appointed by by Donald Trump, um, made this decision, overturned Roe v. Wade. So. Uh, this, for once, the Supreme Court issue is actually helping Democrats. I mean, for decades, Republicans would plan campaigns around it and it would work and Democrats would have it down number 20 on their issue list, which means it didn't matter at all. On uh, one thing you mentioned before was political polarization. And Adam and I were talking about before the show does the polarization that exists now in uh, American politics, does that make the, the crystal ball forecast more difficult or easier? Well, I keep saying it depends on the, on the state. Uh, it depends on how much confidence we have in the information we're getting and how much of the information we're getting. You know, honestly, um, in most years, it's making it a little easier. This year, it is not because we started out the year and we thought it was going to be an easy year <laughs> as far as the midterm election goes. Right. You know, Biden was in the mid 30s and the economy wasn't doing well and, and the pandemic was rearing up again here and there. And then there was Afghanistan. There were a lot of other issues involved. It looked like there was going to be a red wave. Now, look, for all I know, maybe there still will be. We've got almost two months for other issues to play out or other events to occur that could either make Biden popular or unpopular and which direction he moves will have a real impact on the campaign. But um, long and short of it is now we've got this move back to the Democrats and it has scrambled the original calculations. We thought we knew what was happening. We did at the time. And if the election had been held then, I think Republicans would have ended up winning 30 seats, additional seats in the House. They only need five. I think they would have captured the Senate, maybe plus two or three. Mm -hmm. Now the the Senate is right on the margin, a strong breeze, a strong issue breeze between now and November 8th will determine which way the Senate goes and many of the really competitive House seats. So my view is Republicans have lost altitude and instead of 30, Maybe they'll win 15. I'm just picking the number out of the, mm-hmm. out of the air, but it's it's a reduced number. And on the Senate, as I said, I wouldn't bet a nickel on that right now. Maybe we'll have a projection. I hope we will by the time the campaign's over, but I wouldn't bet on it today because you'd lose your money. At least you'd have a 50% chance of losing your money. So we now just got 
a reason to put our, our money back in our wallets. All of us are ready to, <laughs> no to put it all on the line. Um, you know, you started the the predicting back in, I think I read 2002. You were nearly flawless, right? Your toughest year apparently was 16, as what yes. it was for just about well, everybody, right? right. Which is why so Justin Ashley didn't have would, a lot of company, but it didn't make me any happier. <laughs> but that's that's why I think Justin asked the question about is it getting tougher to make that call, you know, about how things are going to go in a world that's fluid, in a nation where people are are feeling very insecure and upset about a lot of things, feeling loss of control, wanting something to believe in, and if someone gives them that kind of shot in the arm, this bring my dad back into it, Doctor Feelgood, you know, if they give you a reason to believe. In the 11th hour, that could be, I think, in a close race, something that could make uh, all the difference in the world. Sure. You know, when everybody else is zigging, maybe you should zag. You'll stand out. People will notice and they'll say, that's refreshing or a change. And maybe they should even, it's too bad your dad isn't here. They could hire him to write one of his famous political jingles. They were terrific, you know, and they really got people into the spirit of whatever candidate was there. Uh, but, you know, that era is just gone. Most of the consultants say the money they spend on positives has some impact early on and that the candidates may not be that well known. But later in the game, it's just wasted money. It's all it's it's either hard negative or contrast negative. That's all they spend money on. Well, I think we're at a time in our history, frankly, where we need more heroes and fewer villains. We need more action and less talk. Uh, we need more to believe in. And uh, the good thing about, and the wonderful thing about having you on the, the show today, Larry, is you've been a big believer of that from the beginning, uh, the power of positive motivation. And and yes, maybe the positive ad uh, had better days in the past, but you know, if you go around the country, as you do, you know, people want that proverbial shot in the arm. Uh, and wherever they can find that, I think they're going to move. And that's why politics, I think, will continue to be very fluid for a while. It, it probably will be. And to go to your first point, uh, I've had a little sticker and T-shirts, actually, with a slogan on it that I passed out since the 1970s. And boy, is it out of phase right now. But it reads, <laughs> politics is a good thing. Politics <laughs> is a good thing. Because what are the alternatives? They're far worse. Mm -hmm. And so I, it's a message I've tried to sell and I've utterly failed. But <laughs> I'm going to keep pushing at it. And if I can live another decade, hardly guaranteed, uh, maybe there'll be a change in fortune. I assume that's part of one of your, the questions on your final exam for your students at UVA. If they answer it wrong, fail, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's how you get people to change, Larry. Well, we really well, appreciate We believe in free expression here. We believe in free expression at Thomas Jefferson's University. So I let them disagree. <laughs> uh, and there are other reasons for failing. Well, we really appreciate you being a part, <laughs> part of this show. I was kidding. <laughs> We're with you. <laughs> we really appreciate you being with us, Larry. We wish you the best. Uh, uh, we really need more and more people uh, that have perspective and experience uh, and wisdom like you have to be able to make more of a, a sense of understanding come into play about politics, not just about winners and losers uh, in terms of Democrats and Republicans, but how we as Americans can win. And we really want to thank you for everything you do every day. Thank you, Larry. Well, I really enjoyed the conversation. It was a conversation instead of a lecture. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Take care. Well, Adam, now what an opportunity for both of us and for our listeners to really be able to pick the brain of 
one of the most famous and well-known political prognosticators from the University of Virginia, Larry Sabato. Um, and it was great to kind of really understand the challenges that he faces. But what I liked hearing from him was the fact that, which I thought was one of the most interesting takeaways from the conversation, one of them, was that he doesn't put a lot, as much faith in the public polls as he does the private polls that he gets right. from the campaigns. And what, you know, it's kind of interesting because most of us are only able to consume information from the public polls. That's right. And we don't really have access to these private polls. But he made a great point that the private pollsters, their reputation is on the line, and they don't they don't have any incentive to deceive or to get it wrong for their own campaigns. Well, there's obviously more public distrust of uh, media and other institutions that put out the quote-unquote public polls, right? Right. Well, do they really, is that really what's going on? Do they have a, an ax to grind? Who are they really pushing for? You know, you get it from, you know, the New York Times, the Washington Post. If you're a Republican, you're looking at that with somewhat of a jaundiced eye. And if, in reverse, if it's Fox News, uh, you're feeling differently if you're a Democrat. So the private polls, as an operative you know, for all those years, I can tell you, we want to know what's going on. I mean, right. are we really truly ahead? Are, if not, are we trending well? And if not, what do we have to do to adjust the campaign? We don't want to pull wool over our own eyes as we may have to completely retool and uh, readjust campaign message, campaign direction, resources. We need to know, which is why Larry is very smart. The private polls, and he's going to be talking to the operatives who aren't looking, who are not going to be spinning Larry. Right. They're going to be telling Larry, hey, you know, this, this is where it is, right? Mm -hmm. And because of his reputation, they want to give it to him straight. That's why his crystal ball, I think, has been so successful because the, the data he receives is of a different quality others. Right. He made that very clear that he's really not solely relying on the polls, but he's getting a lot of intel from the campaigns themselves in terms of what they're seeing on the ground with these with these specific campaigns. No, he talked about the two that are in the toss-up. Yeah. The two that he just moved from toss-up to lean Democrat uh, are Arizona, where Mark Kelly is up against Blake Masters. Um, and the other one is Pennsylvania. And Pennsylvania is fascinating. Uh, that's with Fetterman, the lieutenant governor, who literally had a stroke two days before the Democratic primary and has had, I think, difficulty at times uh, functioning. Uh, up against Dr. Oz, who was learning how to function maybe in a more mainstream way. And so they say tilting Democrat. But if you look at that race in the primary, the Republican primary, Dr. Oz beat David McCormick, who's kind of a more mainstream conservative Republican, by 1,000 votes. Right. It Jay may just be if that crystal ball is accurate, and it ends up essentially 50-50, and Pennsylvania goes Democrat. The 1,000 votes that uh, McCormick felt shy mm. with in Pennsylvania may determine control of the U.S. Senate. Of the United States Senate. Isn't that amazing? That is really remarkable. A thousand votes out of millions cast. Yeah. That, that would be remarkable. The other question I put to him was, what, because this is what everybody's talking about or trying to understand, uh, what's the impact of the Dobbs decision right. on who's going to show up to vote in November? And uh, his answer was, well, it depends. It's more important in certain parts of the country than it is in other parts of the country because there's a lot of diverse views around the country on that issue. But he felt that it was a net benefit to the Democrats. And that I think the word he used was kind of re-scrambled the electorate in terms of motivating voters because of the, he made it very clear that the 
pro-life movement had always had something to oppose in terms of Roe v. Wade. They used it as a motivating factor to get their voters to the mm -hmm. polls. And now it's upside down or it's reversed uh, from what it used to be. And now it's a motivating factor for Democrats to get to the polls. You could argue Democrats have been more disciplined of late. They're very focused on the choice issue. They're very focused, of course, on the former president of the United States, and they're disciplined about it. The Republicans have been a little bit more kind of all over the map. Their promised land, if you look at all the polling, is the economy. It still is. Right. Where I think when we talked to Johnny McLaughlin the other day, he said 82% uh, of people polled feel they're struggling or know that inflation's had a huge impact on them. So the economy stupid should be the one and only focus in a way for Republicans. It hasn't been. Do they get back to that issue at the end of this campaign and say, we'll take that issue and put it up against, you know, the, the abortion issue and may the best win? I mean, is that how it comes down? Right. Well, I think it's interesting. I saw a poll recently and I've tweeted about it uh, maybe about a month or six weeks or so ago uh, that looked at which uh, con which constituency, which demographic group is the economy the most important and least important mm -hmm. to? And the least, the economy was the least important to college-educated Biden Democrats, Democrats wow. who voted for Biden. Mm -hmm. uh, that was, the economy was the least important issue to them um, against all other groups. The issue uh, that it was the most important to were Hispanic voters. Um, it was the, where the economy was the mo a larger percentage of Hispanics. So I think it's interesting because I think that, as Larry said, with certain voter constituencies and certain voter groups, some are going to uh, think that the uh, Dobbs decision is more important to them and others, the economy is going to be mu much more important to them. It makes a lot of sense, though, when you think about if you feel less pressure from the economy and life right. in general, you tend to be more expansive in your interests and your viewpoints, which is where something like choice would kind of fill the gap. If you're more hard-pressed, if just getting through day-to-day, -day, the pay, you know, paycheck to paycheck, you're a little bit more focused on the first priority. Bread and butter issues, Bread economy is going to be number one issue for you. Those other issues, the social issues are uh, not as important because it's not uh, affecting your day-to-day -day life. Well, so that's, that's, I think that's going to play out in different ways in different states. Well, I wish I had a crystal ball like his, right? <laughs> I think we all do because I think we would take all of our money out of the markets and put it right into the ball and put it all yes. on Nevada right. or on Georgia, whatever it may be. But, uh, yeah, we really want to thank, obviously, uh, Larry for being a part. He's one of the good guys. He's really one of the good people uh, in the industry. And it's great to you know, just be around him, as I feel his students are, other than those getting C or, or worse on their final <laughs> exam. Um, and, you know, it's great to be here with you again, Justin, uh, from Ballard Studios Ballard in Washington, D.C. Absolutely. great to, Another great show, Adam, and look forward to the next one. Me too.